Good morning. Welcome. I know that um, you know holiday weekend. We've got some holes in the auditorium this morning. We've got a lot of people that are out traveling. We've got a big group over at SunQuest, a youth group, and some families are there. But we're really glad that you're here this morning. And it has been great to see some people that walk in those doors that I haven't seen walk in those doors in a long time. And uh, so if you are a first-time guest or if you are uh, been here all along, we're glad that we're together this morning. Good to have you here. Um, we've got two more weeks in this series, by the way, so you're going to have to keep looking. <laughs> Dave's right, we have sung every battle song, every military song that, uh, that the Church of Christ knows, but uh, that's a good thing. So a policeman pulls over this gentleman for speeding, and he walks up to his window, and he says, sir, do you know how fast you were going? The guy says, officer, I was just trying to keep up with traffic. The policeman looks at the, up and down the road and said, sir, there's no traffic on this road. And the guy goes, see how far behind I am? Now, you've got to admire someone who moves with intentionality, right? Who knows where they want to go and knows how quickly they want to get there. But we can't be going, we can't be traveling in fear. Because if we travel in fear, we'll never get to where God wants us to go and where God wants us to be. We are still in this series, uh, taking a look at the life of Joshua. And we have seen the Israelites come to the banks of the Jordan River, and they have a decision to make. Do we have the courage to take what God wants us to have? Do we have the courage to cross the river and go where God wants us to be? And by the way, if you go back to chapter 1 of Joshua, God promises these people he would give them every place they put their foot from the Great Sea all the way down to the Euphrates River, which, by the way, was much more territory than the Israelites ever occupied, ever. And that's sort of been the sad story of God's people ever since. So often we have settled for less than God wants us to have. And the reason isn't because God is not faithful. God is faithful. The reason is that we're too fearful. And the irony is that God knows exactly what it is we're afraid of. So this morning we are going to talk about what is undoubtedly the best known story in the book of Joshua. And that is Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. And here's how that story begins in Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one went in. You notice that Jericho is on lockdown because of the Israelites. And this wasn't just a security precaution. This was an anxiety reaction. The people of Jericho are scared to death of the Israelites. If you back up a chapter to chapter 5... You remember that chapter 5 opens this way. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. 
One of the reasons why this story of Joshua is so timeless is because it serves as kind of a metaphor for God's people. The Hebrew name Joshua, translated into the Greek, is Jesus. And the second Joshua is going to return. You know, Jesus is going to return one day, and Jesus is going to return victorious. And here's the thing, the enemy knows it. That's why God's enemies have always had a courage problem. We talk about us having a, a courage problem. God's enemies have always had a courage problem. Satan knows how this battle that, that he is in is going to ultimately end. The book of Revelation talks about Satan knowing that his time is short and that his future is decided. You know, Jesus prophesies about this in Matthew chapter 16 when he's talking to his disciples and he's talking about the church and he says, upon this rock, upon the fact that Jesus was the, the, the Son of God, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, hell is not going to be able to put up walls. Hell is not going to be able to put up gates that's going to stop the church from accomplishing the mission that God wants the church to accomplish. But here's what the enemy is going to do. The enemy is going to do what he does best. The enemy, the enemy is going to do what he knows, what he is. He's going to lie. And he's going to deceive very effectively. And he's going to want you to believe that he has put up walls and that he has put up gates that is going to prevent you from doing what God wants you to do and he's going to prevent you from going where God wants you to go. He wants you to be convinced that there are walls that you can't handle, that there are walls that are impenetrable. The enemy wants you to believe that your life and your behavior is dictated by the walls and the gates that he's put in place, that we can't have the future that we wish we could because of what the enemy has put up against us. And I sort of wonder if the same thing wasn't true for Joshua's people there as they get into the promised land. This is a very young nation that's in the promised land. They're, all their parents, they died in the wilderness, remember? And these people had been in some skirmishes before, just a couple small skirmishes, but that was out you know, in the wilderness. They, they have never seen anything like Jericho. They've never seen anything like the fortified walls 30, 40 feet tall, double walls of Jericho. They've never witnessed anything like that with their own eyes. And they've had been wondering, how are we going to do this? How are we possibly going to defeat that, those people? But Jericho is very central to the mission of God in the, in the promised land. Now, quite often when you're talking about a war there is a particular battle of that war that goes a long way in determining the outcome of the entire war. For us, our history, you know, in America, you think about our bloodiest conflict, the Civil War, that battle was Gettysburg. I grew up very close to Gettysburg. Martha and I have been to Gettysburg a lot of times. It's one of my favorite places to, to visit. If you've never been, you, you need to go. It is so powerful. It's so meaningful to be able to just walk that battlefield and to think about and to see what happened those three days in July of 1863 and to know right here during those three days 
really did determine the future of America. There was a significant moment in the Battle of Gettysburg that, that turned the tide of not just that battle, but the entire war. Unless you're kind of a history buff, you will not recognize the name Joshua Chamberlain. Um, he wasn't a soldier. He was a school teacher. He was a seminary student. But he found himself in the Civil War leading the 20th Maine. And the 20th Maine was on a, on a uh, piece of high ground known as Little Round Top. And his goal, his mission, was to keep the Confederates off of Little Round Top. The 20th Maine was the very end of the Union line. So Joshua Chamberlain is there with the 20th Maine, 300 men, with thousands of Confederates at the, at the, at the, at the end of Little Round Top, which isn't a very big little, it's, it's a little. <laughs> it is round, but it's, it's not a huge mountain. Not once, not twice, five times the Confederates charged Little Round Top. Five times the 20th Maine repelled their charge. Now, they're down to 80 men. And reinforcements are not coming. And they are completely out of ammo. And they know, Chamberlain and his men know, there's no way that we can repel one more attack from the Confederates. And they also know the Confederates are going to send one more attack. But they didn't have any ammo. And they didn't have very many men left. So common sense would say, surrender. Give up the land. Give up the position. Get off the, get off the round top. You know, run away. Fight another day. But Chamberlain understood how important that piece of ground was to the entire battle. And so he looked at these 80 men with no ammunition. And he gave the order, fasten bayonets. And those 80 men charged down that hill into the teeth of this huge Confederate force. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. No ammunition. Just rifles with bayonets attached. And they so surprised the Confederates that they captured and scattered an entire Confederate regiment. They won the skirmish that decided the battle, that ultimately decided the war. Because if the Confederates could have flanked the Union lines, that battle would have been over quickly. Think about Joshua in the Promised Land. Joshua never once fights a defensive battle. Not once. You look at Joshua's record in the Promised Land, I'm pretty sure he's 31-1. and one. It's a good record. But he is always on the offensive. He is always moving forward. And that's what Joshua encourages us to do, to march forward fearlessly. And the reason that we march fearlessly is because we know that the battle has already been decided. Remember the first thing that God tells uh, Joshua in chapter 6 is, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. The battle hadn't been fought yet. The walls haven't come down yet. But God says, see, I have delivered Jericho. Which is a funny thing for God to say. Because all Joshua can see is this fortified city. All he can see is this huge, this, this huge intimidating city looming in his future. That's what he can see. But through the eyes of faith, what he can see is that this battle, this outcome, 
has been stated before the battle has even started. Now that's kind of the message of the ark going before the people. This is God in front. This is God leading the way. God has got this. The battle has been decided. Let me tell you something about God. God never barely wins. God never has to kick a field goal in overtime to pull it out. Okay? There's never a walk-off at the bottom of the ninth with two outs. There's, there's never a jump shot with one second to go to win by two. God never barely wins. But the enemy wants you to think that sometimes God loses. Or, or maybe at least God is losing. Satan wants you to believe that there are places in this world, there are places in your life where you can't go. And there are things that you can't do because of the walls that the enemy has placed before you. Listen, Satan is bluffing. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that Jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. At the cross, Jesus claimed victory. At the cross, we have the proof. We win. And that should change the way we live our lives. When you know you're going to win the game, it changes the way you play the game. Or at least it should. Years ago, myself, Tom Manley, Steve Roberts played in a three-on-three basketball league at the YMCA. We did it for years. Um, We weren't very good. (laughs) We were competitive enough to to make it fun, but we won some, we lost some, but we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, We did it for, man, a long time. One season, one cycle, Tom came and said, okay, I've got this kid that used to play junior high basketball for me, and he's in town for a while, and he's going to play with us next go-round. His name's Keith. Okay, great. The reason Keith was in town, he was at the the training camp. He was trying out for the Orlando Magic. (laughs) That's how good Keith was. I mean, Keith was bigger and better than anybody I have ever played basketball with. And I've always wondered, what would it be like to play with somebody who could play at that level? And I got to tell you, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty good, especially when you're on his team, right? It is great. I mean, he was just playing a different game. And the great thing about Keith was he was so nice about it. I mean, he let us help. He let us kind of contribute, right? I mean, I'd shoot and I'd miss, and Keith would got every rebound. I mean, he was just playing so far above the rim. And he'd pass it back out to me, take another shot. And he'd get another rebound, shoot again. You know, and then he'd give it to Tom a couple times, and Tom would miss a couple times, and and eventually, okay, we need a point or two here, Keith, and Keith would score, because there was nobody in the gym that could stop him. (laughs) Changed the way I played. It changed the way Tom and Steve and I all played. I mean, here we are, you know, these three kind of vertically challenged guys who aren't very athletic, and we were just killing everybody. Not because we were any good, but because that guy's on my team. Now, next time around when Keith didn't play with us, all those teams that we beat, they had pretty good memories. They they hammered us pretty good. But for, for 12 weeks there, we played with absolute confidence because we knew 
we are not going to lose this game. The church of Jesus Christ should not be confined and it not, should not be defined by the walls that are put in place by the opposition. There are no walls that the enemy can put up that are capable of deflecting or defeating the people of God who are marching fearlessly. I mentioned this before. We are marching, we are fighting from victory, not for victory. Victory's already been claimed. We're in a battle. You know, we've talked about this in our, in our last series. We're definitely in a battle, but we are fighting from victory, not for victory. The battle's been decided. So we march fearlessly, and we march obediently. Because who in the world would come up with the strategy that Joshua was handed for this battle at Jericho? I mean, who in the world would say, first get a bunch of preachers, and, and they'll kind of lead the way, and then get a praise band, and they'll follow behind, and then we're going to march around the city several times, and nobody's going to say a word. There had to be some soldiers in the Israelite army going, this does not make sense, <laughs> right? We don't need priests. You know, we need people who can fight. We, we don't need trumpets. We need heavy artillery. And what are we doing just walking around? And we're all just going to tire ourselves out. Our, our, our morale is, is going to plummet. This is not a good plan. But pretty often, God asks his people to do things that don't make sense to us with our finite minds. Make, don't things, things that don't necessarily make sense to other people, to the world around us. But walls don't come down because it makes perfect sense to us. Walls come down because of faithful obedience. Look how the, the Hebrew writer describes the battle of Jericho. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And then notice what he says here. After the people had marched around them for seven days. You know, that single statement is actually a pretty good definition of faith. Faith is just not, not just some intellectual agreement of who God is and what God is about. And faith isn't just what I know about God. Faith is about doing. Faith is about acting. It's about marching in the direction of what you say you believe. And I'll give you an example from, from the business world. We all know CVS Pharmacy, right? There's one on every corner. About 10 years ago, the CEO of CVS Pharmacy, Larry Merlo, made a decision that shocked the industry. CVS has a mission statement, and their mission statement is helping people on the path to better health. And so their CEO asked the question, if that is our mission statement, if our mission is to help people on the path to better health, why are we selling tobacco products? If our stated goal is to help people live a healthier life, why are we selling products that we know are going to make them sicker? And CVS made the decision to take tobacco products out of their stores, and it shocked the industry. And I'll tell you why. Because they turned their backs on, listen to this, $2 billion annual sales of tobacco products. But courage... And faith is not displayed by what we say. It's displayed by what we do. 
It's displayed by how you march in a direction that is consistent with what you say you believe. It's the young single woman who says, I'm going to keep myself sexually pure, pure before marriage, even though the world laughs at that, and even though the world calls foolishness what God calls fearlessness. It's the guy on a business trip who tells his friends, I'm not going to go to the club with you tonight. Because he doesn't believe that women are something that should be objectified and stared at. He believes women are children of God that should be honored. And he knows those guys are going to make fun of him behind his back. But he marches fearlessly in the direction of his convictions. It's about the young couple just married, just out of school, a whole bunch of debt, trying to jumpstart a new life together, you know, being pulled in a thousand different directions. And they make the decision, we are going to be an active part of an active church. And we're going to volunteer. We're going to volunteer our time and our efforts. We're going to tithe money that is mighty tight. But we've made decision that we're going to follow God in every part of our brand new life together. It's about the teenager that goes to school and sees the new kid sitting in the cafeteria all by herself and makes the decision, I'm going to be a friend to that person. It takes courage. And none of those things make sense to the world. But they make sense to us. And I'll tell you why they make sense to us. It makes sense to us because we believe that the Son of God left heaven and came to earth. And it makes sense to us because we believe that the Son of God died on a cross for our sins. It's personal. And we believe that Jesus walked out of a tomb three days later. And we believe that he ascended to heaven where he's sitting at the right hand of God. And we believe that one day he's coming back and he's going to take us to be with him forever. And if that's what we really believe, why wouldn't we live our lives and align our actions with what we absolutely know is going to happen? I mean, if we really believe what we say we believe, it ought to change the way we live our lives. A little bit scary? Yeah. Can take obedient faith? Yes. But we'll agree with David, who wrote in Psalms 56, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? As fearless followers of God, we don't allow Jericho to decide our future. We allow Jehovah to decide our future. So we march from victory. We march in obedience, despite the walls. Again, all over the world, all over our lives, Satan's putting up walls. He's saying, you know, the church can't go there. And the church can't do that. And he's trying to deceive us, trying to fool us into thinking that he gets to set the ground rules. But he doesn't. Walls that the enemy puts up do not stand in the way of God's people who are marching fearlessly. As fearless followers of God, we, we see a will, not a wall. We're motivated by grace, not intimidated by gates. So we're going to go where God tells us to go. And we're going to love and we're going to serve people that God puts in our path. And we're going to teach and we're going to rescue the people that God loves. Because we know what His will is. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord's not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Why? Because He wants everyone everywhere to come to repentance. 
He wants everyone everywhere to, to change their lives. He wants everyone everywhere to have a chance to say yes to Jesus. Dave talked about finding songs uh, for this series. There's a song that Dave introduced to us uh, a while back. And through this whole series, in my mind, this song has been playing on repeat. And it's a song that talks about how real fear is. And how debilitating fear can be. And how paralyzing and enslaving fear can be. But it also talks about our faith that conquers fear. Simply because of who we are. Child of God. Listen to a couple of these words. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. It goes on to say, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. Sound familiar? My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. And the chorus that comes along several times, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I've asked Dave to come up and lead us in that song this morning. It's not the invitation song, by the way, okay? I'm going to come back up here and kind of wrap this thing up. But I want us to sing that song together, and I want us to sing it with integrity. And I'm going to challenge you, if, if you're so inclined, if you're comfortable doing it, uh, when we sing that reoccurring chorus, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God, those of you who are still might have a red wristband on, even if you don't, I don't care if you ever have a red wristband or not, but when we sing that chorus, I'm going to challenge us to raise our hand and publicly confess that we are fearless, that we are no longer a child of God, or we're no longer a slave to fear, but we are a child of God. Dave, come lead us in that song.
child of God, that ought to change the way we live. It ought to change the way that we play the game, right? But it's not a game. The stakes are too high. I remind you that we march from victory, not for victory. But all too often in our, in our march, our march looks more like uh, a funeral procession than it does a victory parade, right? You know, those priests are, are leading the Israelites around in a victory parade around the city of Jericho. But too often our, our march looks more like a, a funeral procession. And I get it, we die to ourselves, and I get it, there's sacrifice involved, and I get it, it's complicated, and it's messy. But even as Jesus is telling us to lose our lives, in the very same breath, he says, the reason that we lose our lives is so that we can experience real life, the life that he offers, the life that he provides. Jesus didn't come so that we could have death and have it abundantly. I don't, care. I don't care what wall is in your way right now. He didn't come that we might have death and have it abundantly. He came that we could have life and have it abundantly. And in the end, obeying him is a victory parade. So maybe right now, you're thinking about the wall that's in front of you. The wall that needs to come down so that you can move forward. And I'll tell you this. I have never seen a wall prevail against God. Whatever your wall might be, I have never seen a wall prevail against God. He is still undefeated. We're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. If as a church family we can help you in any way, be praying about uh, anything that's going on in your life, we invite you to meet us in the front here. Let's go ahead and be standing.